This person is called Plant Love 2585. There is no one choosing anything, which was so clear in experience recently. What it has brought about is quite a bit of relaxation from this whole ordeal of finding the right path, doing the right practice, or even navigating daily life. It just became crystal clear that nothing can ultimately be wrong or right. If there's no one doing it right or wrong, it just is. Wow, what a relief. There are aspects of the me structure that still want to be here and be the doer, but it loosens. At the moment, it is still trying to get attention for the big topics about the right and wrongs of humanity, how it's apparently not possible and just irresponsible to let go of those judgments. It's coming and going, quite interesting. But I feel like after seeing that there really is no one making any choices ever, there is just no going back from there. And I just trust the process now more and more. That's exactly right. When you see that the central uh, component of all experience, or at least I'll say all perception, is the sense of the one this is all referring back to, the self. Uh, even if you're concerned about things out there, the worldly problems and so forth, the, the emphasis is on the you that is upset about it, the you that is concerned about it. So we don't realize that it's in part uh, or largely a selfish motivation. It can be very, very difficult to see this until that self starts to fall or does fall away. Then it's like, oh, I can see how I had hypnotized myself into believing the thoughts and binding back into the sense of a separate self, emphasizing separation, emphasizing um, doership and so forth, thus distancing myself from my own experience, distancing myself from life. But I was doing it in the guise of caring. So again, very paradoxical. There's a pretty brilliant uh, uh, person who described this once as the end of the one who cares, which of course could sound bad, but when you realize what it actually means, uh, that the one who cares has a lot of baggage. The one who cares is very much co-opted. When that comes to an end, then clear seeing is easy. It's just the way this is. Ashley said, I totally knew how you were going to answer this topic. Awesome video. And based on personal experience, I was nodding my head as I watched. This was from which path to awakening is right for you. <laughs> it's a video I did where I talked about um, whether choosing this path versus this path versus this path ahead of time uh, is a meaningful choice. Is it a real choice? Um, certainly there are different paths, right? We could be uh, interested in Zen Buddhism or Dzogchen or Advaita Vedanta or um, anything, right? YouTube non-duality. And we can consider these to be different paths. Like, well, sure, there's the path of inquiry, right? There's the path of meditation. There's this path, that path. But in the end, um, you see that along the lines of the previous comment I just was uh, talking about, who really chose that path? Did you ever even choose one of those paths? So the, the sense of trying to choose this path versus that path is pretty much always just the mind trying to distract you from seeing what's right in front of your face. 
or distract you from letting go or distract you from feeling what's really wanting to come up. Um, someone recently pointed out the quote to me, Carl Jung said, religion is what we use to prevent an authentic religious experience. <laughs> Something like that. <clears throat> Someone said, the sound, this is uh, Teresa Scott, the sound you have in the video makes me sleepy, bliss, out, go into it. Thank you for the video. You're welcome. Sometimes when people hear the sound, they're like, oh, the sound is so distracting. It's so distracting. And what I sense is, is thoughts, right? That's Your thoughts are telling you that. But why are your thoughts telling you that? Why is your mind trying to grab you in those moments? It may be because part of your body wants to actually merge with that sounds. But your mind's like, no, no, I have to listen to the words. You don't have to listen to the words. Feel it. If the sound is distracting you, it's just pulling on you. Let it pull you. Let it pull you fully. Let it completely engulf you. Let the sound take you away. Let it kill you. Yeah? So that when the sound, the sound in the background um, is there and it's noticed, it's not a problem unless you make it a problem. Someone said here in relation to the same video about the path to awakening, uh, Renak Mans said, interesting because I have religious-based OCD and my brain has always tried to figure out what or how that plays into awakening. Like, is it a tool to use or is it simply suffering for suffering's sake? It's very tough. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the different video. <laughs> it's very tough also not to feel like my brain possesses me with its agenda. Is it my shadow? <clears throat> the brain possessing you with its agenda isn't the shadow. It's it's protecting you from the shadow. It's protecting you from just dropping right into the emotion body. That's what that's what it's doing. That's what I talk about is sometimes the mind-body split. There's not an actual mind-body split. You're not going to dissect down in here somewhere and find a switch to turn off to make it stop happening or that there's a, like an actual demarcation between the mind and the body or something. It's just a, it's just a, um, a habituated experience of shooting attention up into the head or into thoughts or concepts um, to sort of avoid what's being felt in the body, even if we don't know we're avoiding it. And that's huge because probably the majority of people don't know they're avoiding it. I didn't know. Some people are much more acutely aware of when they're feeling an emotion, what they're feeling, what their avoidance patterns are. And with, with realization, we tend to come into contact with that and develop that insight. But at first it's often, we have no idea we're actually avoiding some sensation or experience. Someone said, hi. <laughs> hi, Angelo. Are you the reincarnation of Parmenides? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I have no idea who Parmenides is. Someone said, um, it's oh my god speed. Oh my god speed. We're talking about Awakened by the Trees, a conversation with Indira. If you haven't watched it, it's really good. Um... Someone said, thank God you talk about this. Trying to talk about this. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. Don't stop, Angelo. You are talking about this like with this guest you're talking to. Has been nothing but perfect. Has helped me, is helping me look into myself to witness me and my true being. 
has shown me I've heard, seen, witnessed, experienced, letting go of my ego, thought self. I've seen God in me, as me, as everything. Thank you. You articulate the unarticulatable. And I made up a word. <laughs> You're welcome. Not sure what I was articulating exactly without watching it, but. Someone said, I need to get, I need to get you a haircut, my guy. <laughs> Funny. I have this video called Ken Long, Can Lifelong Meditators Wake Up? It was based on a conversation I had with somebody who said he knows a lot of people who've been meditating for decades and aren't interested in awakening. And they'll tell you they aren't interested in awakening. So we had this conversation, so I thought I'd make a video about it. And it was, it's an interesting topic, you know, what are people's motivations with meditation? It's not necessarily awakening. So I talked about it in this video. <clears throat> Someone commented, it all depends. There are many schools of meditation, true, just like the non-duality realm. Uh, there was an Indian woman, Deepa Ma. Her story is so inspiring. She awakened through her meditation practice and then helped householder women in India to awaken. The practice is simple, and if one is persistent, awakening happens. I've read the book written about her over and over. She died sometime at the end of the 1980s, thereabouts. Well, I mean, she died. I mean, obviously, there's she wasn't enlightened if she died because enlightenment is gives you magic powers over death and life. Um, that's a joke, of course. I don't know anything about her, but yeah, maybe someone else will read the book and enjoy it too. And the thing about, does she have this special technique or whatever? Um, I don't really attribute special techniques to special people. Like, I don't think Buddha said Buddha had this like perfectly special technique that we can all use or, um, you know, Ama, the hugging saint, like her hug is magic or something. I think it's really cool to transmit that way but i just don't think anyone has some magical key technique or magical tradition that's like got secret knowledge like i just don't buy into that there are there are good pointers in all traditions of course if you look um but the key isn't really buying into a certain technique practice esotericism it's certainly not just learning tons of stuff about this you know esoteric knowledge and stuff um and it's not about a certain finding the right teacher, the perfect teacher, right? However, our human tendency is to do this. Our human tendency is to go, oh, but my teacher is the best teacher. You know, oh, you've ever read about this guy and he's got this magic power and this woman. I'm not making fun of this person at all. I'm just saying it's a tendency people have to, to, to elevate a teacher or elevate a teaching or elevate a, and um, people probably do it with me. You know, the, 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 the takeaway I want to uh, give you here, or the point I want to make is, Nothing about this awakening process has to do with elevating a teacher or finding the perfect practice or finding a very specific technique or getting in with an in-group. It's just not It's just not about any of that stuff. That's all like red herrings. It's all distractions. The best technique is the one that works for you. Um, and more importantly, a certain word, phrase, uh, koan, question can be so powerfully transformative, but a lot of it is timing-based. So for instance, I'll give you an example. Many, many years ago, before I had any shift, uh, it was I was kind of coming up to the shift, actually. It was on the horizon, and I didn't know that. I picked up a book, and it had this one phrase in it, and it said, 
feeling oh it said um non-attachment does not mean non-feeling it means non-attachment to the feeling right i could have read that a thousand times before that and it would have just sounded like a circular logic or some um cute little saying or something nothing nothing meaningful but but reading at that moment is i didn't it didn't teach me something and it didn't make make me go aha i understand something it actually opened something like it felt i felt like a portal inside like something literally just opened up to like space there was some clear shift that that caused um was it the saying that was magic no was it the person who wrote the book no it was timing it was the right moment so if there's a if there's a magical technique or um uh it's not how can i say this if there's a magical catalyst it's not a particular technique particular koan a particular process particular tradition or a particular teacher that's not what it is it's a particular spatio-temporal event it's like a portal that, that, that's opening and it's it's telling you like look here drop in here let go into this and you can i think you can cultivate the conditions to to kind of become ripe for that you can't force it to open or anything but you will know when it opens you'll know when something appears that feels like oh wow that's there now okay that's the direction to go it's kind of terrifying but it's time to go, you know? Um, it's much more like that. So, and, it, and that, that's gonna be particular to you, right? To your conditions. So again, it's not a objective technique person, um, anything like that, that's gonna do that. It's, it's, it's really about a sort of culmination of, um, of, of your intentions to, to kind of live uh, truth, uh, your willingness to let go of beliefs and ideas you have about yourself and about the world and about spirituality. And, um, and, and then those conditions line up with something synergistic in the sort of spatio-temporal energy system. And all of a sudden, boom, there's, there's a moment and you can feel it. And it's, it's obvious. It's, uh, yeah. It's like when you're ready, the teacher will appear. I think it's more like when you're ready, the moment will appear. When you're really ready, the moment will appear. <laughs> and it will be um, unmistakable and it will feel like letting go more than it will feel like you learned something or aha or you get or you gain something worse yet right okay I think I beat that to death <clears throat> this is in reference to the interview with Kim uh, Chip Jones said hi Angelo much gratitude for spreading this message as far as the strange and unusual experiences I've described I hear described do you think Ramana Maharishi would say these, they are tricks of the mind. He wouldn't say anything, he's dead. He would say nothing. Again, that's a joke. Probably wouldn't care. If I could guess what Ramana would have said or thought about this, I'd say he probably doesn't care, um, truly. Um, he went through some pretty wild and crazy um, transformations when he uh, laid down and imagined his own death. It wasn't just imagination, right? You could imagine your own death right now, or I could, or someone could imagine their own death and not have that kind of profound transformation, transformational shift, but it worked for him. It did for him, right? So when you hear someone else describing something, you can't know really what's behind it, but you may be able to sense it. So when I'm talking to Kim, it was very clear that her, her insights are deep, profound, and very real. Um, the story that, that comes out or the way it may be described and so forth is just going to be in particular or is going to be 
um, particular to that person. So it doesn't mean that it's going to be meaningful to you necessarily, but, um, but it's, we're not talking about thoughts here in this video. We're talking about direct, profound insights. Um, if I'm not mistaken, <clears throat> even you have indicated that awakening is nothing special. It's nothing special. Um, let me read what else you said. And not full of cosmic fireworks and a lot of woo-woo. Um, it often is not, but often it is <laughs> full of cosmic fireworks. But the, the thing about it's not being the thing about it not being special um, is, well, first of all, let me back up. If you take anything I say out of context, like if you take anything I say and then apply it in the wrong moment or the wrong context or wrong situation, then it's going to be completely misleading, and it's not actually what I said. So everything I say is contextual. It's this is all contextual. So I don't stand by anything I say because whatever I said five minutes ago doesn't exist anymore. So the only thing, only thing that matters is what I'm saying now as far as the, the truth of this, right? So um, so if I were to say awakening is nothing special right now, um, I would say that to somebody potentially who is chasing specialness in their mind, who is chasing specialness in their mind. I'd say, don't look there. Don't look in the in the the grandiosity of what the ego wants, of what you think it's going to give you and what you think awakening is going to give you. It's just not special like that. It's not special in that way. Um, it's so, it's far more ordinary. It's far more already here. It's already the case. Um, and then paradoxically, when that really hits you, you might hear me say that a hundred times and it doesn't hit. When it does hit and all of a sudden you go, oh my God, that? I've been ignoring that. And then you turn your attention to it and then this isn't up to you, but that, that shift, that that dying into that that place can vary dramatically. And some people have very, very, very profound dissolutions of ego and self into that experience right now. When that happens, um, no words can even touch it. No words can touch the magnitude of that. Um, I still wouldn't describe it as special because special has a meaning to people. Special is looking for value and the value system only exists up here. So this is just beyond that whole value system. It has nothing to do with it. So the words to describe it are never going to really work. But sometimes if they're put together right, the words um, and what's behind them is someone who is expressing in a very authentic way, you can feel a transmission there. So that's that's what I would say. So over uh, the overarching answer I want to give to this is if you're watching something like this, and your mind is trying to like argue with it going, oh, well, it, it sh isn't this wrong because of Maharishi, you're like remembering what, you know, um, uh, Ramana Maharishi said or like <clears throat> comparing it to other things you've heard. My advice, <coughs> excuse me, my advice is to realize like those are thoughts. And maybe that analysis, that unnecessary analysis is an avoidance of really feeling into what what's being presented, perhaps it, it may or may not be. But um, we often do that. Like if we, if we hear something that's, you know, um, again, as I said earlier, we don't always know this is happening, but something, it could be opening something uncomfortable. It could be pointing us to something that's just a little too unstable right now or too destabilizing. And so what we do without even realizing it very quickly is the mind just gets a hold of you and starts analyzing, starts analyzing, you know, comparing, comparing this with that, with what I heard before. But anytime you're comparing something to memories or previous learnings when it comes to spirituality, you're not fully hearing what's actually being said, or you're not fully picking that transmission up in the moment because realization has nothing to do with paradigms. It has nothing to do with 
descriptions. It's just not about that. It's not of that world. So anyway, hopefully that's helpful. If not, Oh, okay. Sorry. There's more to that. It said, um, I get, I get so confused. I've been meditating for many years. The first time I ever sat, I found myself out of my body, looking down at my body, feeling a mix of unconditional love and pity or, or sadness that I hadn't realized this idea of body was poverty. I had never experienced that again. And it's been around 30 years. I keep striving though. Blessings and namaste. Namaste. There's something here. There's a clue here. Like striving for that, even though it happened 30 years ago, um, and it was a very profound experience. Striving for that, it can can be the distraction. It can be the main distraction that's keeping you from really letting go into this moment. Because the beauty of it is you can't let go into it 30 years ago. You can't do that. It's impossible. You can't reconstruct that moment. All you can do is have a thought of a thought of a thought. You know, this worn out thought, even though it may still seem very enticing. The reason it seems enticing isn't because of what happened 30 years ago. What makes it seem enticing is that it's it's got that stickiness of the seeking mind. The mind's like, oh, I can get that. It's not It's not that you want it right now. You want it in the future, right? The same mind that takes the past and put, puts it into this value system and says, I want this, it's also projecting it into the future. And it goes, I want it, but I want it later. <laughs> I want to work toward it. So what if you just let go of that whole paradigm right now? What happens? What do you feel? What if you feel if you just let it go? Let go of your 30 years of meditation. Let go of what happened to you 30 years ago. Or let go of any possibility that that could happen again. Let go of the idea that you're in control of what's going to happen to you ever. Really just let go of all those thoughts. Let go of the enticement of thought to argue with anything I'm saying or or, or, or even, I'm not saying you're necessarily being argumentative, but to, to make a different case or to compare it with what you know. Like, what if you just let go of that tendency? Because it is sticky, right? Thoughts want you to come in and think. Come in and think about this. Let's compare this to what someone said said and that person said, and, right? Because it makes us feel stabilized. It makes us feel smart. Maybe it makes us feel in the know, or it makes us feel at least like, like we have something to figure out. If we have something to figure out, we can always put it in the future. We can put enlightenment in the future, but I'm telling you, it's not in your future and it's not in your past. So there's only one other place to look. Okay. Thank you for your comment. This is a comment by, thank you very much. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hyphenated version. T T Y V R much. Hi, T-I-V Meyer much. It said, I needed this. And I wrote, nothing is ever lost on the video title. Nothing is ever lost. Yeah. It can feel like so much is lost in this process. It can feel like just endless grief in a way. Um, and to the, to the seeking mind, the loss of all of those endless promises is endless grief, right? Endless promises. Never fulfilled. <laughs> the ego can't fulfill anything. It never has. It never will. The seeking mechanism doesn't fulfill itself. It doesn't want to. It wants to seek. It's like if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. If you're a seeker, everything is sought. Everything is an object of seeking. Um, so I don't want you to continue to seek. And I don't want you to struggle with seeking. I want you just to see that even letting go of, of that, letting go of that seeking... All you're letting go is a, is a bunch of promises of a bunch of illusions. So nothing really is lost. That's the gist of it. Cool. This is, this name is Ms. Lizard Fizz. That's a good one. This is from a video called, Can Lifelong Meditators Wake Up? 
Thanks, this is helpful. I've been a Zen meditating for about a decade, some years with more commitment than others, and something often did feel like it was missing. Many people in my Zen community are monastic and have often spent extended time cloistered, but I don't think that's my path, although I did consider it for a while. I visited the monastery and definitely see how spending a few years there would be profoundly transformative, but also that's not accessible for everyone. I think it's really great that you're giving advice aimed at people living in ordinary lives. I do think that perspective can sometimes be missing in the Zen community, uh, not out of malice, just that for most of the teachers of the community, they learned in a monastic setting, so they teach what they know. But in my opinion, some of those practices are much harder outside the monastic container. So it's really great to come across other suggestions. Yeah, <clears throat> it can be, um, I've had time in Zen community as well and doing sashin and so forth. Um, it, can, it can give you the impression by going into those settings and coming back out as a householder it can give you the impression that, oh man, if I God, if I had that much time to just sit, of course I'd be enlightened, right? Of course I'd wake, I mean, it, how could you miss it when all you do all day is meditate and then when you're not meditating, you're kind of meditating and um, all I can tell you is it's not like that, first of all. <laughs> first of all, it's not like that for them. Ask any monastic or monk or nun, they'll tell you like the same real world problems come up, interpersonal problems in those places and you know challenges and physical health problems and self-doubt and like all the same stuff comes up right um that's part one part two is it does it would seem like having that kind of direct insight in day-to-day -day life out out in the in the world right in householder situations and work and relationships and challenges it would seem like all of that texture makes it harder to be present right to, harder to directly access our true nature um and it actually doesn't necessarily i actually don't think it does i think the belief that it does can be very fixating though but i don't actually think it does necessarily um why because the sense fields are always here body sense is always here sound is always here visual fields always here right so the sense is being always here why does it really matter what environment they're in? This buzz in the ears, it's there whether I'm in deep meditation or I'm sitting right here right now, it's still here. The sensation of breath, it's here no matter what. Walking, sitting, talking, sleeping, meditating, it's still here. Consciousness, thoughts, all of that, it's all still here. Right? Whether you're sitting, laying down, up and about, moving around. However, <laughs> and there's always a however, isn't there? The thoughts, that part, the consciousness part, that is a little trickier at first um, in householder type situations because meditation does one thing pretty well and that generally calms the mind. Even though it doesn't always feel like that's happening, it, it's, it's pretty good at calming the mind over time, especially. Um, but again, that's not directly related to insight. Um, loosely maybe, but as I talk about in this video here, um, can lifelong meditators wake up? Um, it's not, it's not equivalent. It's not like if we meditate 30 years, you're going to wake up. No, I know many people who've never meditated at all who woke up or minimal meditation or just not interested in meditation who have woken up. So they don't relate that way. They're not correlated directly that way. Um, and as that insight deepens, as the awakening shift happens, and then the insight deepens into the nature of presence itself, 
the nature of consciousness, the nature of thoughts, the nature of sensation, sound, et cetera, et cetera, as that all deepens and clarifies, it becomes obvious that it actually doesn't matter what environment you're in, it's still here. And it's still just buzzing with aliveness. Good comment though, thank you. This one says, what is your emotional experience? Do you experience much emotion at your stage of realization? Well, I don't consider myself at a stage of realization, so there's that. Um, I don't have that experience, at least. Um, emotion? <clears throat> it's usually pretty even keel, I would say, for the most part. It's just, there, if there's an emotion, it's something like equanimity or that's just sort of a piece. Um, but it really depends what you mean by emotion. Like I wrote in my book, if someone talks about emotion, the first thing I want to do is find out what they actually mean by emotion. Because a lot of emotion is a narrative, a story, labels, um, and then the narrative about the emotion and your your response to the emotion, your challenges with it, and so forth. If you take all of that away, emotion is just sensation, truly. So there's sensation here all the time, and that sensation's morphing, changing, fluctuating all the time. But it's also non-dualistic, which means it's not. Uh, experienced as a, an object of uh, an object to a subject or an object of sort of awareness. It's not like that. So it's not, there's nothing that can stand apart from it to make it a problem. It's just there or it's not, or it, well, it's really kind of always there, but it may be there in a more poignant way or maybe more, I could call it intense way, although that really is a description. Um, it can be more magnified perhaps at times more fluctuant, more, it can change, and it changes all the time, morphs all the time. <clears throat> so that's the experience, and even reflecting on the experience is something that doesn't really happen unless someone asks. <laughs> it's kind of a non-reflective reality, I think, I would say, if I could describe it simply. Non-reflective, clear. The clarity is like, penetrates everything, and um, intimate. But, but endlessly fluxing. Okay, this is in a video called Can Lifelong Meditators Wake Up? Same one we were talking about before. The question by caution up ahead is, Angelo, how does one tell when it's just doubts that are telling you you're not there yet and when you really aren't there yet? Um... If there's something saying you, you, I may not be there yet or I'm not there yet, it's always a doubt. 100% of the time, that's always a doubt. Does that make sense? I, that's the first part, is if there's a thought that says, I'm not there yet, I haven't made it there yet, I can't wait to get there, I'm seeking it, I'm working toward it, other people have woken up and I haven't, any of that, all of that, that's just a thought. And there's no one or nothing that refers to that doesn't reflect on somebody. I mean, that's not a reflection on somebody's actuality. <laughs> that's the insight, that's the important insight, is it's just a thought. There's no one who's awake or asleep. There's no one who's enlightened or unenlightened. In one sense, you could say the, <laughs> the idea of enlightenment as any kind of personal experience um, will always infer the enlightened one, and that's a joke. It's just a joke. It's a it's like a cosmic joke, actually. Okay, and then they said it normally seems to be pretty clear, but when I listen to your videos, 
you make it seem like something huge happens and I didn't have anything huge happen. So then I doubt. Thanks. Um, yeah, this is the challenge with talking about this as a possibility or an event. If I don't talk about it as a possibility or an event, then, you know, um, I'm not being honest. But if I do talk about it as a possibility or an event, it will get often get things added to it or be interpreted a certain way. And like I say, I've said many times, like it is something that's noticeable. And when it happens and I'm around somebody it's happening to or we talk about it, it's very obvious to them that something has changed at the level of identity, okay? But how that gets interpreted into words by them varies dramatically. Some people are much more demonstrative and um, I almost want to say flamboyant, but just more expressive. Other people are simple about it. They'll use simple terms. So a lot of times what we're when we're when the doubts come, they are referencing those comments other people make. They reference other people's words because that's the nature of thought and, and language, right? Is it kind of reflects other language and so forth. So um, so again, back to my first answer, it doesn't actually matter. If the doubt is there, just let it be there. It's just a doubt, right? It's just a doubt. But if you're curious, you can look and see, is there someone that actually feels like that doubt refers to them? And if so, where is it? What is it? What is its nature? Try to find it precisely. Yeah. What do you find? This is exactly what Ramana Maharishi said in his book is like, when a thought arises, ask for whom did this thought occur or who, to whom did this thought occur or for whom did this thought arise? Can't remember exactly how he said it, but it's just basically that. So when the doubt comes, first of all, recognize it's a doubt. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have truth value. Now, is there someone that is there someone there that feels like that doubt is occurring to or referencing? Look there. What do you find? Okay. Um, can lifelong meditators wake up? That's the video. The comment by um, Nick Barth is, ah, so meditation is not necessary. Could be necessary for you. You don't know. That wasn't the whole point of the video. The point of the video was, it's not, meditation is not the equivalent of awakening and that something else I think um, is more important. Some other um, quality of experience or um, intention perhaps is more important, I would say, than meditation. And it's some form of inquiry, but you know, you can watch the video, video where I unpack it a little bit more. Um, is it necessary for for everyone, meditation? No, certainly not. Some people wake up without really being interested in meditation. Does meditation just remove distractions that would make it take longer to understand this? Okay. Oh, Nick Barth, that's the same person who asked the previous one. So I want to say that the question is a leading question or it's a loaded question because it says, the end of it, it says, would it make it take longer to understand this? So the assumption there would be that this is about understanding. This is not about understanding. So it doesn't matter how I answer that question. If you believe this last part that somehow this is about understanding, doesn't matter. Um, so does meditation just remove distractions? Um, to some degree, I think it does. Yeah. But again, if the intention um, to really penetrate the identity structure or to let go is not there, then you can easily use meditation to relax yourself and comfort, become more comfortable, uh, calm the mind, but really not 
look behind the curtain to see if there's a wizard there. Um, but yeah, it's still not about understanding. It's about direct insight when we talk about awakening. And there was a long conversation after that comment. That's good. Okay. Juliet Pink said, this hits hard. It's mint. Meditation, I try, pref- I, I prefer listening though. I'm not sure. Not aiming for anything. Think I'm a slow burner. Fridge surfer. Pardon the pun. I don't know what that means. Um, this is all, in the video, it's all enlightenment. Slow burner. Not a- not aiming for anything is good though. As long as you hit it. If you're not aiming for anything, that's great. Just make sure you hit it. Okay. Someone here said, I still argue, but I can come back to presence if I catch it. Once sensed, I realize that the arguments I have ha- have nothing to do with presence. They're distractions. That's it. I think that's pretty much right on the money. That was Jeff or yeah, Jeff Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah. If you find yourself arguing and being argumentative and stuff, um, in most situations, it's uh, reactivity. Okay. Someone named Tiny World Laboratory said, maybe someone can relate to the doubtful feelings that always seem to barrage me just as it seems I'm finally surrendering. Yeah, it is a bit like that. It is a bit like that. Um, I might say it more like without realizing it, our tendency to grab onto doubt, even though it's uncomfortable, is more is preferable in that moment to really letting go. This is why I ask questions like, who are you without all that doubt? There's a reason that doubt comes, because you're comfortable with it. But who are you without the comfort of it? Who are you when you don't grab onto those doubt thoughts? Yeah. And the, and the, the final doubt thought is the one that says, oh, you know, every time I'm ready to surrender, the doubt comes. So, well, that's too bad. Okay, well, let me think about some other stuff then, because that's not working. No, recognize that's one thought. And then let go. What's here without that thought? If any doubt arises right now, I'm going to disregard it as a thought. So bring it on. Who am I without my doubt? Go there. Stay there. Um, someone said, I, I must have asked in this video what your reason for being interested in awakening is. They said, I guess my reason is I'm, I'm tired of suffering tired of anxiety, tired of fear and insecurity. I feel you. Those are really good reasons. Those are really, really good. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you can even get tired of being tired of them, right? So what effort are you putting into this? is my sense of asking, like, if you really look at all that anxiety and I'm not saying, I'm not minimizing it at all. And I'm also not saying you're, you have an uncommon situation because you don't. This is, this is kind of the flavor of the day in humanity these days, you know, but what effort are you putting into that? Like, look at that, feel it, feel into it and go, what effort am I putting into either suffering, you know, anxiety, fear, insecurity, or what effort am I putting into resisting them? What if I stop putting effort into either one? What happens then? What if I stop applying effort here? Which means I'm not avoiding that space either. You're not avoiding the space of anxiety or suffering or fear or anxiety. You're just not putting 
putting will into actually trying to stop something from happening at all, keeping it at bay any more than you're putting will into like creating them. So find your, find where you're putting that will find where you're putting in that effort and stop. See what happens. Someone tells me there's more to things than that. Yeah, for sure. This one is a uh, Gnostic nonsense is the name. You can't disappear because you never appeared. The illusion isn't the world, it's you. Yeah, it's true. But don't just believe that. You have to realize it. You know, it has to be, it has to be lived. It has to be embodied. Um, yeah. Truth and freedom. Thank you for this. You're welcome. Let's see. Nikki Binsky said, As thought is like a flame, nothing but light, so is my body all a flame, seemingly form, but really process of illumination. It's kind of cool. So is all the world a single flame within which embers seem to dance? And when we say the world's on fire, we are not wrong. Stand in that light. Don't fight its nature, but instead walk all ablaze and be the light unto the world. That's cool. I don't know if you wrote that, but that's really awesome. Someone said, I like these videos and your live streams the best. Well, cool. That's, oh, they're referring to the video I made that's like this one, <laughs> where I'm answering people's comments. Really, it's just because I'm lazy, because I used to type answers to the comments a lot, and then I kind of just ran out of time to do that. But now I'm like, there's value in answering them, but it's maybe a little easier to do it this way, and I can unpack it more. Someone said, this is Javon. I'm so tired of seeking many years. Life is not fun anymore. I'm so deep into this that I can't just decide to put it down for a while or do something else, because nothing is fun once you know that waking up is a possibility. Yep. I know where you are, and it's a good place to be. I would say you can even let go of those labels, you know? Being tired. Can you, can you, can you forego being tired right now? Tired of seeking? Can you let go of seeking and let go of being tired of it? Can you let go of all those years of seeking? Can you let go of them right now? Take a really close look at yourself that's holding on to them. When you can't find it, then the letting go might just happen. And I like that you, you're so deep into it, you can't put it down. It's true. Oh, you can't put it down for a while at all. That's really good. It's the red hot iron ball that you can neither, neither spit out nor swallow. So just get really singular in your experience. With a question like, what is this? Or just this? Focus your mind on that such that the thoughts don't arise, the doubts don't arise, the labels don't arise, judgments don't arise. Stay with that singularity day and night. Don't wait for something to happen. Don't expect something to happen. Don't anticipate anything. Stay with that singularity.
Uh, I have a video called Unbinding from Thought. It was actually a clip. Someone said, sounds lovely. The part of me that understands that this giggled with a resounding yes. The part of me that wants to understand and or know it says, sounds nice. Keep looking for it. Maybe next life. <laughs> Not for you though. And so on. That's how it goes. It's okay. The mind will say those sorts of things. It's really just like how much reaction do you have to those thoughts? Or can you just let them just pass through? Ashley Stewart said, unbinding from the world of thoughts and time is true freedom. I agree with that, especially time. <laughs> okay, I think that's it for now. I'll do these periodically because they're they are a nice way to answer these comments, and I think people get a lot out of it. So, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your comments and your viewership. Appreciate it.